0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. I'm your host, Reed Coverdale. Um, I was supposed to do a live stream the day before yesterday, but we had audio issues and I learned a long time ago, you don't go ahead with a podcast anyways when you have audio issues, it's just not worth it. Video connection isn't the biggest deal in the world, but not gonna do audio when it's not well connected. So uh, Dak and I have rescheduled. He's gonna be coming on in a couple weeks. Um, I'm actually going to be on vacation next week, on vacation, I'm not even working right now, but I'm going up to Maine and I'll be out of service for the whole week. Uh, So I have an episode premiering next week about, um, it's just a recording of the speech I gave at Porkfest about liberating the working man from the regulatory state and OSHA and just how ineffective and stupid the government is. So that'll be coming out, I think on Tuesday night. And then if I'm back in time on Friday, I'm going to have Tommy Salmon's on next week. So I got some stuff in the works for next week. Uh, If you're new, obviously subscribe to the channel and follow me on all the uh, platforms listed in the links in the description, specifically Substack and Telegram. I'm using both of those a lot. Um, I just got banned off of YouTube again. I don't or sorry. Banned off of uh, Twitter again. I don't know if I've done an episode since I got banned off of Twitter, but I made a new Twitter account and it lasted two and a half days and they zapped it. So I'll probably get into this with Chase, but I'm thinking about actually going in person to California and appealing the original ban uh, or trying to get someone on the phone or something to explain what happened. Because I really wasn't technically in violation of anything. I wasn't actually threatening to kill anybody. The person who I, whom I was threatening doesn't exist and is half me. So it's kind of a bullshit ban. So I might be appealing that. But for the meantime, follow me on Telegram. That's listed in the description. And then Substack, putting articles out two or three times a week. And then Instagram... I am growing there. It's kind of slow, but I'm getting close to 2,000 followers right now. So if you can check me out there, that's where I'm doing most of my dumb, you know, posting. It's not as easy as Twitter because you can't post links and you can't just say shit. You have to post pictures with everything, but just follow me there. That's kind of what I'm using now. Anyway, all that aside, let's get into the show. Uh, I've done a couple shows with this guy, I've been on his show a couple times. He's been on mine a couple times, and he's. Helped promote me a lot, especially after I got banned from Twitter the first time. He's blown up on Twitter. He's all over right-wing uh, social media. He's had all the head honchos on. Steve Bannon, uh, he's had... Uh, I'll, I'll just let him name all of them. He's had a ton of them, but uh, he's tried to set a couple of them up with me, too, so I really appreciate everything he's done. But Chase Geyser of the One American Podcast, how you doing tonight, man?
1: It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you, as always, Reed. I always enjoy <laughs> our time together. Maybe one day we'll meet face-to-face.
0: It's got to happen, man. It's got to happen. It's written in the stars. So tell us a little bit about your explosion on the the populist right internet. You've had Steve Bannon on. um, You've had uh, Gavin McGinnis on. You've had uh, Roger Stone on. And you're like blowing up all over Getter. I see you. I see your face everywhere whenever I go on Getter. Uh, When I was still on Twitter, you would be like all over, you know, kind of right wing populist Twitter. So what happened? How'd you, how'd you successfully crack that nut? What's been going on the last six months, man? It's crazy.
1: So I started the podcast in May of 2021. And uh, what I do for work, I, I, own, I own a small social media advertising business. I started in 2016. And I basically just decided that Uh, I wasn't satisfied with just being a voter. And I I felt like it was not enough because I was pissed off at just the political climate. And so this whole effort has been a personal vendetta for me to just get as much influence as possible. (laughs) Right? It's not like a money thing. It's in fact, it's cost me way more money than it's, it's made me. I think I make maybe like 50 or 100 bucks a, a month on this shit. So it's like when people are like, oh, you're grifting, you know, it's like no, 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 you don't know understand. This is charity. I'm doing this for you, babe, you know? And so so, so um, what I did was I got up to 5,000 followers on Twitter. I was very intentional about it. I was doing like follow, unfollow campaigns, just like the fucking grind. Okay. And then what happened was I would reach out to people once I hit 5,000 followers, I DM them, on Twitter and ask them to be a guest. And um I'd say maybe 2 out of 5 would 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 come on. And then when that person would become a guest, I would cut up, you know, 30 sec like a couple of 30 second or 1 minute clips of the guest saying something very interesting or awesome, and I would just push the hell out of it. And then they would retweet it, and then when they retweeted it, I would get a bunch of their followers, right? Then I would get a little bit higher tier guest, right? And I would do the same thing and a little bit higher tier. So a year and a half later, I got to the point where I got C banded. <laughs> you just yeah. you just kind of work your way up. And so I'm at the point now where I've got, um, I think, 81,000 followers on Twitter. My goal is 100,000 by the end of the year. And then I'm going to uh, pump a book out and um, uh, just you know see what happens.
0: Nice. So I have noticed you have, definitely been squashed by the algorithms at least on youtube because yeah youtube's hard you <laughs> i mean i've been complaining about youtube but you had steve bannon on a couple of weeks ago uh right when he was in you know getting yeah. in big trouble and everything big in the news and you got like less than a thousand views on that episode yeah so w- what's going on there you, you've been fucked hard it seems by the algorithm yeah
1: yeah so steve bannon came on i think we had um we had thousands of listeners on on getter uh, when I cut up the uh, episode, tens of thousands of viewers on on Twitter in terms of clips and TikTok, and then on YouTube like 900. And the YouTube yeah. 900 doesn't really make sense because I've got um, 4,000 actual subscribers on on YouTube. Uh, so you would think that you know it would have my subscribers would have at least at least watched it. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if it's a censorship thing. I don't know if I don't know if I'm doing something wrong. So here's a couple. There's a couple things going on here that I, I have to think about this is just like my social media mind working for as like, you know, this be my work algorithm wise, the, the YouTube algorithm, it's really important that viewers watch the first 60 seconds of your long form videos. If they don't watch all like the, all the first minute of a long form video, then it's just like, it's just going to tank in terms of of referrals. And I think what my problem is, is when I live stream, I have a 60 second, like kind of like pre-roll ad that I run similar to you. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I just want to make sure that like everything gets connected and populated across all the live stream platforms before we actually start talking. Otherwise, the first five seconds will be cut off of the conversation and it's awkward. And I think the problem is um, I need to be re-uploading the video with like actually a a hot, you know, 60 seconds from the episode at the front end just sort of to catch more videos for longer term. I think that's part of it. And I think the second part of it is, um, you know, six, seven years ago there were not a lot of options in terms of long form podcasts to listen to. There was like Joe Rogan and that was it. But now like if you want 30 minutes or an hour, an hour and a half of people's time to watch, you know, an episode of, of long form, you're competing with like the Tim pools and Joe Rogan's. And when P- there's only 24 hours in the day, and if people watch Tim pool and Joe Rogan, that's already six hours of their day. They don't want to watch chase geyser, right? right. <laughs> like, Who the fuck is this guy? So I think that's part of it. And I think the other part of it could, potentially be that i'm being squashed but i'm really careful about the the type of stuff i talk about like i never talk about vaccines and i never talk about election fraud not because i don't believe in those things but because uh a are a vaccine
0: believer (laughs) yeah
1: yeah that but but because like it like it Everybody, everybody already kind of knows where they land on that. I'm not interested in it. And like, why would I risk my account to talk about shit that everybody already landed on? Like what they think, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm careful. Like, and that's why I've never had a problem with Twitter. Is, like, I never tweet. And I put things in draft all the time. And I look at them 24 hours later. I'm like, I'm not going to tweet that. <laughs> you know? So I'm really careful about it. But I don't know, man. It could be a censorship thing. But I'm just trying to make sure that like all reasons sinks exhausted before I just blame censorship, you know?
0: Yeah. I've been the same way. Cause I actually, I have to fully admit like five years ago, I didn't even believe the claims of censorship from the right. I thought it was just kind of like, Oh, poor me. You know, I, people don't like what I have to say. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not taking off or whatever, but yeah, then, uh, let's see, what was it? 2018 when a lot of people started actually getting banned and removed and, then, it started with Jones
1: um, in 2018. I think he was 2018. Yeah. That was the big one. And everyone's like, it'll stop there. <laughs> so- yeah.
0: Yeah. But then it like, it is real. It is obvious. I mean, um, on Twitter, I noticed it too, you know, because I, I would, uh, I forget what it's called, but you could like look up and see if you were on a search ban. So if people were trying to find you on Twitter, you wouldn't right. show up unless they knew what your app was. And then they typed it in and went to your account. And I was on that all the time. Uh, on my mm. first account when I had like 20,000 followers and I would just go into slumps where I would get zero traction. I mean, I, there would be like 40 people out of my 20,000 followers that would see what I would post. And, you know, I, would ha- I had to join these boost the signal, uh, group chats to get people like, Hey, could you retweet this? And you retweet this. So sure. other people would actually see it. But, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, crazy. I had the
1: bell notifications turned on for you. So I saw all your shit, but I probably wouldn't have.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, – it, and I, um, I, I'm i kind of new to social media. I didn't have Twitter until 20 – really 2020. I had a Twitter account in 2019, but I never used it, so all this stuff has been brand new to me. I, 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 I don't even know, like, the Wild West of the Internet that existed six or seven years ago, <laughs> you know, that everyone yeah. talks about. It sounds amazing. What were like, you
1: doing? Were you working?
0: Yeah, dude, I, I ha- I've had Facebook for – 12 years or something you had myspace (laughs) no i never had myspace i i I had just facebook for like a decade and then like uh five or six years ago i got instagram and like never used it i didn't really start using instagram a lot until a few months ago or or maybe uh yeah six months ago or so because i didn't have a big twitter account anymore um but yeah i didn't use twitter at all i didn't have a youtube channel Um, Although I I did have a YouTube channel, but not for politics. I just post occasional travel videos on it and shit. But yeah, all this uh, social media stuff is mostly brand new for me. What about you? Have you always been on or is it new for you? I've had
1: my, I had a Twitter, I had my existing Twitter account in 2009, but I don't think I tweeted on it until 2019 or 2020, around there, like kind of the most recent election cycle. It was like one of those things I got one in high school and then never used it because... Millennials never really used Twitter. Um, And I was just focused on Facebook throughout college, you know, see girls I was interested in while they were on spring break. And, uh, (laughs) and then uh, um, when Facebook just sort of, I don't know. The demographic totally shifted as my generation went on Instagram. I didn't really get involved in Instagram because it's like, I don't have shit to take a picture of, you know, I don't want to take a picture of my dinner. I don't give a shit, (laughs) you know? Right. And I'm not one to like, go out and do like fun things. Like I'm a very social person, but I don't give a fuck about going to a club or a beach and like mm-hmm. taking a picture i just don't care about that kind of shit i care about hanging out with you and like doing this and talking about politics and it's just not really grammable you know yeah. <laughs> and so so i never really got involved in. It. i'm trying to figure out how i can um have more fun with it but my next strategy in terms of social media is to really focus on youtube shorts tiktok and instagram reels because i think that's the key to growth i hired um Uh, like a guru consultant and and we're going through and trying to figure out what's going on to be really serious about it. And so I've had some luck with like, I've had a couple of TikTok videos that have had 500,000 views. And so I'm really trying to figure out, all right, how does this short need to be set up? Like, what's my ideal amount of seconds that it is? And uh, you know, there's like, there's so much nuance to it. People don't realize that like your thumbnail is incredibly important. The title that you use in your videos is incredibly important how how many seconds between like camera angle shifts or changes is incredibly like two to three every two to three seconds there needs to be like a different scene or a different cut so i'm trying to figure out how to just really take this seriously to try to make it blow up and i think you know over the next six months it might work but i'm gonna i'm not giving up until i take over the world man (laughs) yeah i mean i don't
0: deserve to be at the amount of success that i'm at right now (laughs) like I, i uh as far as like the tech know-how goes, cause I,
1: well, you I, make great content no though. Yeah. That's the most well, important thing.
0: It's all about the content. That's the only reason <laughs> I've gotten anywhere. Yeah. Cause uh, I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to like tags or what to name the episode or like, yeah. I, I don't even do, I need to start doing thumbnail art. I'm on, you know, next episode's 250, and I haven't even started doing like actual thumbnail art. I just, I just take like a screenshot of the conversation sure. at some point. So, time to start buckling. Well, down. you should
1: um, have you ever heard of Canva? Canva.com? No. C A N B A? That's that's like the easiest way to make a good thumbnail. And I think there's no. a free version of it. So, just check it out. It's drag and drop. Easy show.
0: Yeah, I definitely got to do that. Uh, maybe episode 250 on will have thumbnail art. That would be a good uh, starting point. So, yeah. Uh, in the libertarian movement, when I started rising to prominence, I was overly impressed with how genuine everybody, or mostly everybody is. Definitely got burned Swar a couple times. times. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I clarified, mostly everybody is. <laughs> he's um, the reason you clarified. <laughs> uh, he's, one of he's the, the number
1: one grip that comes to mind in the libertarian. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, he's one of the reasons. But um, what's it been like, kind of rising to fame in the right-wing populist movement? Are you feeling the same way about have you met a lot of people in person or just through interviews, but what, what either way, what's been your takeaway from the character of the people you've met? Have you been really impressed or what do you think?
1: That's a good question. So first of all, I've not met anyone in person that I can think of off the top of my head, except for the people that I already knew in person that I had on like friends. Mm -hmm. Um, I have not from the guests that I've had on, there's only maybe a handful or less that I think are full of shit. Um, other than that, the type of guests that I've had on, I've been abundantly impressed with. But, that being said, in the right-wing social media sphere, there is a lot of bullshit. A lot of bullshit. I spent a, long, a lot of time last night, actually, watching uh, um, videos about Dave Rubin. <laughs> I don't want to like, shit-talk Dave Rubin, because I don't know him on, mm-hmm. on, this, on this, but like, there's definitely some questionable shit going on there in terms of, like, hey, why did he like, get ghosted by everybody who like used to kind of be in a sphere and there's mm-hmm. just shit like that but I think that there's sort of an inverse correlation between the amount of money you make and the auth- the amount of authenticity you have and a lot of the people that I've had on with the exceptions of some of the ones that we named at the beginning aren't really making money they're just you know regular Americans like me that are pissed off and maybe an expert at one thing or another that's you know interesting to talk about. Yeah. Um. And that's been cool. But I will say that um. I was reading your uh, um, article that you sent me on Substack pretending to Liz Cheney, and um. <clears throat> you you uh, embedded a tweet from Joe Walsh, and I had Joe Walsh on my podcast.
0: Um. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you about him. <laughs> so. Yeah. I had him. I had him
1: on my podcast because yeah. first of all, I grew up in Illinois, so he was my congressman when I was like in high school. Yeah. And I want to disclaim this by saying Joe Walsh was incredibly kind to me. Mm-hmm. And he and I spoke with him on the phone like immediately after the um, uh, episode and I, he was just so fucking nice. But I, I'm just going to be explicit here and say that he's probably one of the dumbest fucking people I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I just could not believe how fucking dumb his thoughts were. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know if he's corrupt and like full of shit, or but I don't think so because he's got no power. He's got no money. He just fucking bitches. And like, he, he made like the most strategically stupid... Like decision ever which was to bo- alienate the left by being like a libertarian or a republican in, in name but then totally alienate the right by just like not like not being right wing at all, right? so like he yeah. just decided to make an enemy out of everybody for no reason and I don't know what the deal is with that fucking guy I don't think it really matters you know I had him on because I thought hey this would be an interesting conversation and he's a really fucking nice guy and I don't want to bash him like I don't have like a vendetta against him but sometimes I think people are just fucking dumb dude yeah I'm <laughs> sorry
0: yeah. fuck Joe Walsh I hate him yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't yeah know I'm him with either, you
1: I had to unfollow him, yeah. him. I, like it was just so irritated like I, I, alright man thanks for being nice to me if you need anything I'll help you you know but like yeah. I'm not I don't, I don't need to talk to him again I think I even hid the episode just because I was like this is bad
0: yeah I've know. had a couple people like that on my show that um, and some of them some of them it's been weird like it, it's kind of the inverse of what you're talking about so uh, some people I've had on I think do great content and are very talented and say like all the right stuff politically. And then I just found out they were piece of shit, human beings afterward. Mm. So uh, that, yeah. that was kind of rough, especially well, you've, when you've been through a
1: couple of rough patches. And I know I remember from when you had your Twitter.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, some of them, it's like me- a case of meeting your heroes too. someone that you've really looked up to for a long time. And then you get to know that person and you're like, Oh fuck. And I don't want to unearth any drama sure. by bringing up sure. their names. But um, people who know, know. So I'll just leave it yeah. at that. Um, uh, so, yeah, speaking of Joe Walsh and it kind of this weird like. Well, let me ask you this way. Is the division over really being right wing and really like standing up for middle class Americans or is it over allegiance to Trump? Like, what do you think? the delineating factor is with not just Joe Walsh, but the Joe Walsh types. Do you think that those two usually go hand in hand? Like if you're willing to stand up for Americans, you're also willing to put your foot down over this January 6th impeachment bullshit, or is it just kind of a blind loyalty thing that once you turn your back on the king, the right is just done with you? What what is your take on that? What's taking place there?
1: That is such a good question and i think the dynamic is so complicated that there's not really a succinct answer but i'll try to give a better response than that so i think first of all it's really hard to understand You have to, there's you have to have context around the, the term right wing to understand what people are talking about it's like racism like people say racism and it's like you're actually talking about prejudice like it's not the same right. thing right and so so like you know when you talk to a leftist about what right wing means, they think it means somebody who's like a bigoted you know racist fuck. if you talk to um uh sort of like the 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 two thousand and you know two thousand to two thousand and eight republican about what right wing means, it means like you know sort of middle class or upper middle class small business owner with you know judeo christian values right mm-hmm. uh and if you talk to like a Steve Bannon crowd or a Trump crowd o- about what right wing means. It's really sort of like more of a populist thing um, or maybe like a pro cat. I don't I don't know. Like it used to be, the argument used to be in, from, from 2008 to 2012, that right wing meant that you were like pro free market capitalism and left w- wing meant you were like about government handouts and entitlements. And like, it just shifted so much. So I don't, that, that's the first thing to consider. The second thing to consider is, there are a lot of people in the conservative space that are just unabashedly pro Trump because they feel that they can um, grow because of that pro Trumpness. And they're also afraid that if they're anti-Trump, they're just going to get rolled over, right? Like Liz Cheney, like what we saw to happen to Liz Cheney. So they act like they're pro-Trump, even though they're not actually pro-Trump because they're just being pussies, right? right. The reason I'm pro-Trump is not because I even really agree with Trump on, on like even a majority of things, uh, though, though I, I, I'm charmed by him. It's because the people I really fucking hate hate him so much right and I, i'm not an idealist like a lot of libertarians are and that it's like you know fuck you i don't like either of you candidates so i'm gonna write in my dad because i know my dad would be better you know like there's a lot of people i like, have that mentality i'm like yeah. no no i will go with the lesser of two evils right and so so i'm gonna be like one of those guys that's like unabashedly pro trump on social media and stuff But if you ask me specifically like oh do i think it's great that you know he bombed xyz I'd be like no fuck no or do i think that he handled the pandemic right absolutely not but mm-hmm. jesus christ isn't it make you feel good when elizabeth warren like can't even fucking frame a sentence because she's so pissed off We're like yes <laughs> so so like i don't know i don't know what's going on there in terms of like the pro-trump anti-trump thing i will say in the instance of steve bannon who's often branded as like this sort of trump worshiper he doesn't give a fuck about what trump thinks of him mm-hmm. he just i have done a lot of research i've read documentaries about or watched documentaries about this guy I read books about this guy he he likes trump but he doesn't care personally about what trump thinks about him he doesn't need trump he is i believe that steve bannon is genuinely a pro middle-class American populist. And he Mm -hmm. liked Trump because Trump is like by far the closest comet that's ever come to hitting the earth on that subject. And he just, you know, hopped on the wave and and it's going to push him.
0: Yeah. I do agree with your assessment of Trump, by the way, like everything. I mean, and I'm not a Trump fan, but everything I like about Trump is what you just described. The, you know, the chaos that he brings to the scene, the people who hate him yeah, you know, at least like outwardly to the point that they're trying to impeach him and stuff. They all suck. They're like, fucking that, terrible, dude. Is, I mean, and, and I mean, the Republicans, not, not, not,
1: yeah, even, both. not even the Democrats. But yeah, but yeah. Liz like, Cheney, fuck like, Liz Cheney, dude. Liz
0: Cheney, Mitt Romney, um, Oh, you know, like these guys are just,
1: by the way, Mitt, shit. you're not getting the fucking planet when you die. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, we, the Jews think that like God gave them a country. We we don't really touch the you know the Mormons think they get a planet to themselves. Yeah. That's a little more ridiculous. Well, what way. about
1: the people already on the planet? Yeah. Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but uh, it is interesting, like how much those anti-Trump Republicans really really suck, and not just like. Well, look
1: at Crenshaw. Crenshaw's stock portfolio outperformed Pelosi's.
0: Is he anti-Trump now or?
1: I don't know if he's explicitly anti Trump or not yet, but Uh I think he, I, I would be, I would be totally shocked if he wasn't. Uh huh. Yeah, sure. it's not really convenient Isn't... in Texas to be anti-Trump politically speaking, but the dude yeah. is a fucking he is like an establishment conservative and oh, those sure. all establishment conservatives who pretended to like Trump were doing just that. You got to keep in mind when Trump ran for president in 16, it was like a 50-50 split between him and Ted, Ted Cruz. It's not like everybody just changed teams. Like there was a denazification of Germany after World War II. It's not like everybody just changed teams. They just agreed to shut up because they lost. Yeah. Like it's not like that doesn't just go away. Like, oh, oh we were yeah, wrong yeah. about the Jews. Fuck. Sorry, guys. Like, no, yeah. no, no. People don't shift like that you don't change those ideals on a mass population in a short period of time they just lose and then they you know they submit right yeah. that's why they have to have anti-nazi laws in germany where you can't fly the flag and you can't say the shit right it's because if those laws didn't exist you'd see it creep up again right because the sentiments are still there so, so yeah why right.
0: do you think that hatred for trump exists like what is it about him that the anti-Trump mm. Republicans. Let's just go with the Republicans. The Democrats are retarded. We don't care what they think. The, what? Sure. Why do the anti-Trump Republicans hate him so much? Because I have a theory, but I want to hear yours first.
1: I'll give you my best stab at it. I, I also want to disclaim: like I'm just an, like I, I name my podcast "One American Podcast" because I'm just one American. Like I'm not an expert on this shit. I'm not a foreign policy guy. I'm am a guy with an above-average IQ who looks into shit, and that's it. Like that's the extent of my expertise. So, my guess about this Trump hatred from the right is that when you get into Congress or the Senate, there is a handshake deal where it's like, look, we're going to fight for our side. You're going to fight for your side. But when push comes to shove, we are going to try to make this work in such a way that nobody nobody really gets fucked. And we can just kind of stay in this club and make it work and 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 work things out. And I think that for example, if I were to get elected to Congress, I'd show up with all these ideals and then I'd have a nice little meeting with the um, party majority leader or, or, or Speaker of the House or whoever is you know, responsible for putting me on committees. And they'd say, look, if you want to be on committees, you're going to have to vote for some shit that you disagree with. And if you don't you know, get in line with the party on some of these issues that are important to us, then I'm just going to not put you on any committees and you're not going to be able to get any shit done for your constituents and you're never going to get elected again. And so you see a lot of compromise happen like Ayn Rand said, compromise is when both parties lose, right? It's a difference between compromise and a deal. Yeah. And, so, and so I think what happens is they come in and they leverage you and you, there's, there, you become the average, right, of, of, the, of the entire party or the entire political force. And I think that the reason the establishment Republicans hated Trump so much is because he didn't need their money and they couldn't find any real dirt on him. And so there was absolutely no leverage against it. They couldn't like threaten them with like scandals because he right. was scandal immune because everybody knew that he's the kind of guy that would fuck Stormy Daniels. So when they're like, Oh, it's a scandal. It's like, no, no, no. it was a scandal. If Mitt Romney does it, it's yeah. not a scandal. if Donald Trump does it. Everyone was like, fuck. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he fucked up porn star and had to pay her not to brag about it. Like, all right, that's you know, my guy. So, so, so I think that the reason that the establishment Republicans hated them is because they just couldn't get him to play ball. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, and people are like, oh, he's corrupt because he's a billionaire. It's like, you're not just corrupt. You're not corrupt. Like, that's not that's not a a, a total outcome. You can be a billionaire without being corrupt. You just can And And I think that he just they just couldn't buy him. They couldn't he didn't need them. And that's incredibly scary. Like he was unpredictable. And ultimately, I think the intelligence community hated the most for that because they just couldn't they couldn't get him to like follow this traditional apparatus. And so, what they did yeah. was they just infiltrated him and surrounded him with people that they could control and ultimately influenced him and then tried to get him out. And they did. They got him out.
0: Yeah. So, I've got a clip here I'm going to share. This is why I think they hate him, um, or one of the reasons, because not all of the right wing establishment hates him, but a lot of it does. And I think this clip kind of is the origin of it. So, I'll play this and then we'll talk about it. On Monday, George W. Bush will campaign in South Carolina for his brother. As you said tonight, and you've often said, the Iraq war and your opposition to it was a sign of your good judgment. In 2008, in an interview with Wolf Kutzer talking about President George W. Bush's conduct for the war, you said you were surprised that Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi didn't try to impeach him. You said, quote, which personally I think would have been a wonderful thing.
1: Funny rabbit job.
0: we were asked what you meant by that. You said for the war. For the war, he lied. He got us into the war with lies. Do you still believe President Bush should be impeached?
2: Should have well, first been impeached? Of all, I have to say, as a businessman, I get along with everybody. I have business all over the world. I know so many of the people in the audience. And by the way, I'm a self-funder. I don't have. I have my wife and I have my son. That's all I have. I don't have this. So let me just tell you. I get along with everybody, which is my obligation to my company, to myself, et cetera. Obviously, the war in Iraq is a big, fat mistake, all right? Now, you can take it any way you want, and it took took Jeb Bush, if you remember, at the beginning of his announcement, when he announced for president, took him five days, he went back. It was a mistake, it wasn't a mistake. Took him five days (laughs) his people told him what to say, and he ultimately said, it was a mistake. The war in Iraq, we spent $2 trillion, Thousands of lives. We don't even have it. Iran is taking over Iraq with the second largest oil reserves in the world. Obviously, it was a mistake. So George Bush made a mistake. We so, can make mistakes. But that one was a beauty. We should have never <laughs> been in Iraq. We have destabilized right. the Middle East. But so, you, so, I mean, it's, so you still think he should be impeached? I think it's my turn, isn't it? You do whatever you want. You call it whatever you want. I want to tell you. They lied. They said there were weapons of mass destruction. There were none, and they knew there were none.
1: Yeah. How can you not vote for him,
0: given the options? Yeah, so um, (laughs) it's interesting because, like I said earlier, not all the Republican establishment hated him, but a lot of them do, and definitely the Bushes hated him. The Cheneys obviously hate him. Uh, Mitt Romney and John McCain, former— uh GOP nominees definitely hated him. There was
1: Tom McKay was a great guy though, wasn't he?
0: Oh yeah. He was... Don't get me started on that. That'll be a whole other episode. But <laughs> the uh um I, by I default,
1: think... his arms could only go as high as the Holly Hitler. <laughs> Fucking fascist. By default, bro. <laughs> Raise your arm up as high as you can. You're right, one. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, fuck. Um but
0: uh, I I think this is like where the hatred stems from, is because he 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 really, like, I've seen a lot of tweets about this, and it's true. Trump did destroy the Bush-Cheney dynasty. And I would argue that he didn't necessarily destroy their policies, but he did destroy the popularity amongst the Republican uh, right-wing half of the country. Yeah. Like, they do not love George W. Bush anymore. A lot of them are like, yeah, you know, George Bush kind of fucked us over. And that's something that they're just not willing to let go of and then there's also an element to I mean he even said it on the stage there he's like you know these are all their donors cheering I only have my son and my my, uh, my wife up here so he had like an element of uncontrollability and even after he got elected he would say shit on TV where they would fucking freak out like he'd be like yeah, yeah you know they just want to bomb people all the time and I don't know you know I don't think that's necessarily the greatest idea and they'd be like
1: whoa 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 whoa, whoa.
0: you are not allowed to say that so I think that's where it comes from, but what, what do you
1: think? Yeah, no, I think that I think that's a really reasonable take. I I think that you know I think that the failure that was Iraq and the lie that were that was the weapons of mass destruction claim um, is a huge proponent or component to why people have abandoned the Bush legacy and the Bush Cheney legacy. But I also think that ultimately the Whether or not it was Bush's fault, the collapse happened. The economic collapse did at the end of his last term. And I think that's the reason Obama won. They're like, all right, we're going to switch sides, you know, see if we can fix this. And I think that was, you know, the other half of why Bush failed. Regardless of whether it was his fault, he was the president the last, you know, year or two that resulted in this just huge recession. And whoever's in office when when a tragedy happens, whether it's their fault or not, it gets, it's just, it's just linked to them, right? So I think that was a component um, as well. And ultimately, I don't necessarily think that it's Republican establishment that was opposed to Trump because of the Bush Cheney stuff alone. But I think it was the entire military industrial complex that hated Trump because they knew that they weren't going to be able to just like make infinite money off of him in these random wars. And that military industrial complex seems to be seems to have both parties totally compromised and primarily through the intelligence apparatus. I mean, there's a lot of money made off of these conflicts. And it's like, why the fuck do we give a damn about Ukraine again? And it's just just a money laundering scheme to get federal government contracts to DOD because since World War II, we've been doing everything we can to prop up both agriculture and military because we ramped up production so much to win the war. And when the war was over, it was like, all right, what do we do to, you know, Keep the keep the machine rolling. Right. I mean, look at the food pyramid for, for Christ's sake. It's like the most unhealthy thing possible, but it's really really good for corn.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know? I don't entirely disagree with uh, your your position on Trump there. Like, I I, I think not everyone. I mean, because there are definitely like establishment people who don't hate him, like uh, or who went along with him at least, like originally John Bolton that didn't last. But like he went into his administration, Mike Pompeo, John
1: Bolton looks like the vacuum cleaner from uh, Brave Little Toaster.
0: <laughs> he does. Really? He looks <laughs> like uh, <laughs> he looks like Merlin when he's a walrus in. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, in the, 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 the sword, sword of stone. The stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's some good shit, dude. Um, Hiding in the fucking helmet
0: yeah no yeah exactly that's, that's him. He's so, dude, dude seeing like liberals I know you read my article I sent you but seeing yeah. liberals stand up for John Bolton now and Liz Cheney I mean there's just obviously no principle mass formation
1: psychosis bro do you remember when they described mass formation psychosis? They're like, it's not real. The belief in it is mass formation psychosis. Okay. <laughs> like, they said the reason people believed mass formation psychosis was real. <laughs> then they, they described it. They described what mass formation psychosis was. It's just because, you know, everybody believes it's real. <laughs> like, yeah. Total, like, fucking uh, recursive uh, definition. Yeah. So, uh,
0: my question for you is what do you think is the best course for? getting our country back on track like to Mm. me i've actually i've kind of gone through a whole slew of different emotions so when all this shit first started happening a couple years ago i was like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck this is it like we need to um completely replace everyone in the federal government and just like vote in a bunch of people who are gonna do the right thing and then everything will be fine and then i got to the point like holy shit we're never gonna fix this we're completely fucked we're totally screwed there's nothing we can do And now I'm at the point where I actually am kind of in a weird way glad that everything that happened over the last couple of years did because it woke so many people up and it's pushed states to kind of fight back against the federal government and create more of their own autonomy, where I feel like we were marching fast the other way before the pandemic or, you know, COVID hit the country or whatever, and everything Mm -hmm. started going insane. So. I actually am at the point where, like this this raid that happened against Trump, I'm actually glad it happened. Not because I like the FBI or anything, but of course, no, it's being, the best thing could have happened for him. Yeah, well, not even just for Trump, but I'm just so glad that people are skeptical of the FBI now because the FBI yeah. has always been a political lynch mob. I mean, they've always gone. Yeah, the, it, low- here's
1: the thing. Like, I understand. Like, we need to have a, a you know a a, a significant intelligence community for national security reasons but if you set an intelligence community up that has zero accountability like even the KGB had accountability Mm -hmm. Uh, like I I don't know if you saw the 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 show Chernobyl did you watch that on HBO fucking amazing show you would love it Reed you would love it I I would pay a thousand bucks to sit and watch that entire show with you just to see your (laughs) your your response to it and anyway there's a moment where there's a moment where the KGB there's a moment where the KGB is is defined by the leader of the KGB Mm Because one of the characters comes up to me, he's like, am I being followed? He's like, the KGB is a big circle. See those two guys over there? They follow me. You know? And he's like, everybody follows everybody, right? But in the FBI, there's no accountability. There's no circle of accountability, right? right? And so what happens is when the FBI fucks up, they conduct an internal investigation. Like when Enron fucked up, do you think an internal investigation would have resulted in anything? So it's become this unchecked fourth branch of government. And until we figure out how to establish checks and balances with this fourth check or this fourth branch of government, we're, we're going to have just total subversion and compromise and, and, and uh, um, corruption, I think.
0: Yeah. So I think my original thought, which was that we need to just replace everybody and put good people in charge and everything will be fine, which was kind of the way I used to think back in like sure. 2019. I've realized that's completely wrong. Like we need to abolish these institutions and we need to uh, increase autonomy of the states. Like basically have state governments say, we're going to kick your federal agents out of this state if you send them here. We're not going to let you enforce gun control. We're not going to let you enforce whatever tyrannical laws you want. If you want to do a nationwide vaccine mandate, we're not going to do it here in our state or whatever. And so I'm kind of at the point where I love that the federal government is so transparently corrupt now because Mm. nobody wants to embrace it or believe in it again. And the left, the left was like no help to libertarians or people who were skeptical of the government while Trump was president. Like regardless of whatever horrible things he did while he was president, the left never opposed him on any of the bad stuff. It was just like, Oh, he says, you know, he says mean things or he's unprofessional or he I don't know, like they they would just protest over the dumbest shit ever where the stuff that the right has mostly been protesting over for the last couple of years. It's like, yo, you can't tell me to put this in my body if I don't want to do it. And you can't tell me I'm not allowed out of my house and you can't tell me I'm not allowed to work here anymore. And you can't sick the FBI on your political opponents like these are things the right is saying now. And I'm like, okay, this is all great that the right is saying this now. My worry is if they gain power again, it's literally all going to evaporate because I don't think they're going to do anything to rein in the intelligence agencies. I think they're just going to switch out who's running them. They're just going to put their own people in charge. And I don't think anything's actually going to get any better. It's just going to switch hands. And then all these people who are so riled up right now, and some are even like pushing for secession and shit like that. It's just all going to dry up. So like, and I I think Trump or DeSantis or whoever runs as a Republican is going to be the next president right now. Um, If you know, so I'm kind of expecting this scenario, but I'd almost prefer another four years of Biden just because he's so dysfunctionally idiotic and transparently evil and, you know, not in control. (laughs) And yeah. You know, I feel like that creates a more healthy attitude of uh, pushback and skepticism. What do you think about that? Are my worries warranted? Do you think that all these gains we've made on the right are going to kind of go away? Or do you think there are enough people who are like you who have like really internalized all these messages and said, no, we're not letting them get away with this again? What do you think?
1: That's a really good question. I think there's sort of there's two steps that need to happen for change to happen. The first step is not believing the lies, and the second step is um, discovering the truth. So we've gotten to this point where no one trusts the FBI, no one trusts the federal government, no one trusts the uh, private um, uh, uh, political press, which I, I call them, and that's that's great. But the, the PPC. problem, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the PPP, yeah, so. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's good. But the problem is, and we saw this with like the QAnon bullshit, is that when you correctly, and this happened in Germany, too, when you correctly determine that you can't trust the establishment, it's imperative that at that moment, you place your trust in a trustworthy source. And so now, like like we saw all the Q people are like, hey, this is all corrupt. You know, everything's fucked up. And then they went to Q and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. like maybe that's not the right, you know. So like yep. you, you can't like you can't like abandon one cult for another. Right. It's great that you left the first cult. Don't join a second cult. And so the challenge is, all right, so where where should we actually put the trust? And I don't really know the answer. Right. Uh, in terms of of who we can trust. But it seems to me that we're not going to solve these problems unless there is. Uh, an incredible increase in consensus among the people and then a, uh, an incentive to uh, engage in, in radical behavior. And by radical behavior, I'm not talking about violence at all. I'm talking about um, uh, uh, what's the civil rights term that was used? Uh, the what, What's the term of the civil rights? Civil disobedience, right? Yep. Civil disobedience. So like stop paying income taxes. Like what if what 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 if everybody just stopped paying income taxes? Like, yeah, you have to risk going to prison. A lot of people probably go to prison. But if you just fucking stop paying income taxes, eventually the nut would crack because they imprison you all. You're not making any money. You're actually costing $100,000 a year being in prison, right? Like eventually right. they have to be like, all right, you won. You know, like if you sit in at a restaurant that says you can't be here because of your race and enough of you sit in, eventually they're going to change the rule, right? And if you get enough people to parade down the street in Washington DC, they don't have enough fire hoses to spray on all of you and when they spray a fire hose on you when you're in a suit with your family and your kids, they're the ones that look like shit. So ultimately right. I think we need a leader. We need we need like a civil we need a Martin Luther King level leader among the right and we don't have one yet. I love Trump but he's not like an MLK type leader like an informal authority to be like, "You know what? You know, we're a million Americans" small business owners, and we're not going to pay fucking taxes, cuff us, Mm -hmm. do it. And until we get to that point where the people are, you know, have enough conviction and I struggle with this too, because I got a kid and I got a wife and like, I, when I pay income taxes and I pay them, like I, I'm so torn because I know that the right thing to do is not to pay them. But I know that if I, if I don't pay them, then I won't, I'll go away. Yeah, you know it's like it's it's war man it's fucking it's a tragedy so like all right do i want to pay this fifty thousand dollars that i owe in federal income tax knowing that it's going to be used to fucking fund nazis in ukraine mm-hmm. or do i have the you know the conviction and the courage of character to, to to not do that because the right thing principally for me to do is not to do that but then to be taken from my family and right. i'm not like i'm not a moral hero by any means i'm one American, I'm a normal guy, but God, if there was a leader that came along that was able to rally enough people behind that movement, I would be the first to fucking sign up. So do you think we're looking in the
0: wrong place? Cause I don't know if that person will ever show up in I, the capacity we want. Yeah. Like, and I don't yeah. mean like looking at the wrong person. I mean like looking at the wrong level. Um, so something that really kind of blew my mind this year I actually had this guy on my show a couple of weeks ago. He's running for sheriff in Merrimack County in New Hampshire. And he pointed out to me that the sheriff's department basically decides which laws they're going to enforce in the county. <laughs>
1: That's the way it is in California, too, I think.
0: And I'm like, why are we focusing on the governorship, on senators and, uh, <laughs> you know, congressmen and presidents and all this when, it's so I mean, no one votes in the primaries for sheriff or even, you know, if they mm-hmm. vote for sheriff, it's just because they're doing the down ballot voting or whatever, like red or blue, right. or however they end up voting like that would be so easy to change so many communities, even. That's what California. Soros did with district
1: attorneys, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, if you but think about it, like if you live in San Francisco or like in the Bay Area somewhere, you could you could kind of like save your community in a lot of ways by just getting a better sheriff like screw Newsom, screw pelosi whoever's like elected at higher levels of california if you not and san francisco is a bad example but somewhere in like northern california mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like in klamath up there and you know if you got a good sheriff who's like you know what we're not enforcing gun control up here we're not enforcing vaccine mandates we're not enforcing lockdowns we're not doing any of that shit like that radically changes your community and i feel like So many of us are waiting for what you're talking about, like for this Messiah figure to finally show up that we can all rally behind. And even if that person does show up, I don't think things are going to permanently change the way we would want them to. Like, I think this is why I'm more optimistic with the the transparent, um, the transparent corruption and evil of the federal government that people will be kind of forced to be like, you know what? Maybe that beast there in Mordor in Washington is just like Mm kind of unsavable. And, you know, in Texas or New Hampshire, in my own community, we can actually like create our own shire here that we can protect from the orcs, regardless of who's in the tower and Mordor or Isengard or whatever. But I don't know what you think about that.
1: I think that's a very interesting point. I'm obviously all for people getting involved at the local level in terms of their sheriffs, their city councils, school boards, all that shit. I think it's a lot to ask. And I think that those elections are typically incredibly boring to follow. Right. That's <laughs> you the know, problem. so <laughs> that's the problem. The problem is that there's a critical mass that has to be reached in order for that type of approach to take effect. You have mm-hmm. to have like a, like a tremendous amount of consensus among a people uh, to like, all right, we're going to be aware of who's on our count. I don't even know who my city councilman is in, in Austin, Texas here right now. I, don't, I couldn't name a mm-hmm. single one. One of them is even in my neighborhood. I know that and I don't know his name because mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck and I'm somebody who spends all day looking at politics, right? So like that's <laughs> that's definitely yeah. a challenge, right? And so, so, so I agree with, with the notion, but I don't think it's, it's, it's enough on its own. I think that if we look at the history of leadership, both worldwide and in the United States, the greatest amount of, of, of change that has occurred with the exception of perhaps the civil war has come from informal authority. So there's formal authority and there's informal authority. Formal authority is I am the governor. So I have a formal position of authority and informal authority is I am MLK. I have absolutely no authority, but I have a tremendous following. Right. Right. And it seems to me that like these real political, cultural changes happen when a person rises up within a movement and then catalyzes that movement because there's just like, there's like a certain threshold that's crossed where people have had enough. And I, so I'm not like expecting like a Messiah to be president. I I think that we could, if I think that if we elected the perfect president, like, let's just say Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ came back to earth and he, you know, instead of being dead at 33, he was dead at like 36. So he got to be president for a year. Right. (laughs) Let's say, let's say, let's say Jesus Christ was president of the United States. He would not, you know, despite miracles, like without use, without the use of miracles, he would not be able to fix our problems, even if he was the perfect president, because the system itself is inherently fucked up. So there has to be some other solution. And, you know, when push comes to shove, I don't know. I don't know what that that solution is, but it seems to me that we just need real, not grifting leaders to rise up that inspire people to some sort of brave radical action. Like the civil rights movement, I take it for granted. You know, I have until, until recently, like that took a lot of effort among a lot of people with not a lot of resources to take a lot of risk, like to be broke and to get on a bus and travel to the Capitol and put on Sunday's best and walk down, you know, the, the, the Washington mall. It like, that was, that's a lot to ask from somebody. And I don't know that movement. It was just because the leadership was so good and so pure and they were so right. And I, I just think, um, until we have something like that that sort of reclaims america we're going to be in we're going to be in trouble man I, I i don't i don't know what what the way out is i just i'm just doing my best to do my part you know
0: yeah i mean what you're talking about here is why i still care about presidential politics because sure. i agree with you that it's more about the message that politicians sends than any actual meaningful change mm. you know like ron paul's great example he didn't stop Saint. the uh, expansion of the federal government at all, didn't stop any war from happening, didn't stop any violation of civil liberties. But the platform he had and the message he got out there changed the way millions of people think. And same with Trump, same with Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. uh, same with Obama, You know, same with like, all these people. Um, it's. I mean, Obama's a great example because he didn't do any of the things he ran on, but he Inspired millions of people to think that way and think that everything was you know going a certain direction just because of his campaign So I think campaigns for president if you get lots of traction Incredibly valuable with what they can
1: do. Can I say something about Obama? Sure when I look at his resume It's terrible he he was like totally a deep state proponent and you know The only real things that he did were he he did the Affordable Care Act, which sucked ex- except for the um, uh, pre-existing conditions aspect of it. That seems to have helped me at least. Uh, and the the other thing that he did was he did the stimulus package, right? And I don't know if it worked or not, but those were like the two big accomplishments he had regardless of their efficacy, right? Everything else was just right. more more of the same bullshit. However, his one great accomplishment, which was totally metaphysical and not like real in a a, sense of policy was he made the entirety of America feel like everything was going to be okay. Right. Like everything felt like it was going to be all right, which so when you look back on Obama, like even though you can't put a finger on anything that he did that you agree with, it's like, but everyone like there was, it was that that hope bullshit as much as I hate that fucking poster. Like somehow he was able to be like the Coca-Cola of presidents and just establish this brand. Even though he didn't taste as good as Pepsi, everybody always chose him because (laughs) like their brand was better. Right. So, so I, I, and that's one of the things that, you know, just sucks about our existing leadership. I think across the board is that we don't, other than Trump, we don't have like any politicians that have a brand like that or like, you know, DeSantis kind of does too. He's, he's developing one at least, but that was that was something to be learned from Obama. How did he make an entire people just like fucking take a deep breath? Like, hey, you're—I know you're underwater right now, but you're not going to drown. We're going to figure out how to get you out from this, you know, underwater situation. And uh, we got our best people working on. You know, like, even if it wasn't true, it's like you know, the last second you're alive, you still feel like you're going to be alive in five seconds. <laughs> you know, so I yeah, don't know. Well, I, there's something to be said for that.
0: You're. Pointing to what the the point I was trying to make a, a little bit, wa- a little while back um, about how dangerous it is to create this widespread culture of complacency because you think your guy is going to go in and shake things up and turn yeah. things around and get things moving in the right direction because I would, you know, Bush was definitely bad. It put a ton of bad policies in place that we still have today that shouldn't have happened.
1: Is the Patriot but- Act still rolling, by the way? I, I thought I, it expired. I thought it did
0: too. I don't know how that works. Like if it's just still running anyway, <laughs> like I feel Problem like maybe... with that, no accountability, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've wondered because about... it did expire in 2020, right? Like they,
1: the last like semblance of it, I think did when I, yeah. when I read articles about it, but who fucking knows? I didn't yeah, mean to I, interrupt I, I you.
0: They're, they're still tapping our phones, but um, yeah. Anyways, uh, what I was saying is um, Obama in my, opinion actually made things worse than Bush ever could have dreamed of. Hmm. Because if John McCain had been elected president after Bush, I think you would have had so much backlash to whatever he wanted to do, because most of the country was just fed up with the Iraq War. And, you know, every everything about the Bush legacy, it was just there was no appetite for it anymore. So If John McCain had somehow won, everyone would have been like, fuck this shit. Like, we are pushing back hard against this. We're not doing this anymore. But Obama put a veneer of hope and change and whatever else on top of it that just distracted everybody from giving a shit about anything. Um, And I I feel like Trump did a, a similar thing in a different way. Like, it was a different veneer, but he was definitely someone who everyone thought was going in there, shaking things up, turning things around. But he made a different group of people very complacent and like, okay, everything's fine now. And now that he's out, Biden is like, he's the anti-Obama. It's kind of funny. Biden is the exact opposite of what Obama was. He is just like salt in the wound where Obama and Trump in different ways were kind of painkillers to whatever bad stuff was going on. Uh, but
1: They were the LP to their corresponding side.
0: Yeah, but biden like you just can't ignore anything anymore because it's it, people it's say obama's
1: running the country through biden that doesn't make any sense i think it's the intelligence community
0: well yeah they were running the country through obama basically yeah. too
1: so. yeah exactly <laughs> so you but like, like, like think about it like that doesn't make sense like obama has no political leverage like his power was his popularity yeah. it, it like so so like you think he can call biden and just like make him do whatever he wants like no that doesn't make any like sense so. it doesn't uh, make sense
0: Ben Heckman says Trump reauthorized the Patriot Act. He did earlier on in his presidency. yeah. I think in 2020 it expired. I don't. Yeah, I've wondered. What's go. Wikipedia? <laughs> I remember when that happened. It was in like May or so, of 2020. It, that, was, that was a bad it call. Was, it, it was going to get voted on, and then they just like didn't end up on end up voting on it and finishing it. So I don't even know.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, section expirations. Check this out. All right. It looks like the last of it expired in 2019. The lone wolf provision, which I'm not familiar with.
0: 2019? I thought it was 2020. Hmm.
1: I mean, I'm just on Wikipedia. Who knows if it's true?
0: So can they still... <laughs> I think they can still <laughs> tap our phone lines and if, everything. If
1: they can't, they are. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they are anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, like, look, like, look at this A case in point. Stone comes out with this huge leak exposing... All the bullshit they were doing, nothing changed. Like, there's no accountability. Yeah. How come no one like got had was forced to resign? Like, let alone go to prison. How come no one was forced to resign? Yeah. Was there well, even a change in the leadership in any of our intelligence apparatus during uh during the uh, Edward Snowden leaks?
0: No, I mean the 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 thing that's uh <laughs> the thing that's funny about fuck? all this it kind of speaks to my accelerationism is. Nobody gave a shit about Edward Snowden. Like some people did, but the vast majority of Americans don't know anything about that. Um, And it's because it didn't directly affect them in an uncomfortable way. Because yeah. okay, someone's looking over my shoulder while I'm looking at porn. Don't really like it, but whatever. It, it you know it's not in my. face. I don't blame them. This is my favorite porn. <laughs>
1: but this one's then, really good.
0: You love you this FBI. <laughs> then when you have something like a. Everybody should
1: just watching porn where it's an FBI uh, FBI agent getting fucked in the ass. Everybody just <laughs> watch that porn tonight. That's the first difference you can make in the world. When somebody make a porn of an FBI director getting fucked in the ass by Trump, and everybody agrees to watch it, even if they don't look, just throw that shit on. I want them to see it.
0: <laughs> I like it. Uh, what I was saying is um, if you uh, if you have something like a vaccine mandate where it's just shoved in your face and you can't ignore yes. it, It's not abstract anymore. Then people react like if you compare the vaccine mandate to the Patriot Act, like how many people know about it and, you know, have any tangible experience or really rose up against it, like the the comparison would be ridiculous. So just anything that's kind of forced across your um, just kind of forced across your timeline Mm -hmm. in life, basically makes you pay attention and so that's kind of why that's why I'm happy Biden's in there right now. Cause everything's in your timeline. Like you just can't ignore it. No one can anymore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's just yeah. like, kind of up in your face and uh, it just makes people start questioning shit and being like, I don't, I don't what's, believe in this anymore. But
1: what's crazy to me is it's, it's too bad that it it's too bad how things, how bad things have to get in order for people to respond so case in point, and usually the response is terrible, by the way, when things get bad enough that everyone's like, all right, we're gonna make a change. So case in point, unemployment in Germany in the in the 20s, up to the, the election in 33, was like 30 to 33%. Yeah. And when we talk about unemployment in the United States, like anything above 5% is a real problem. Below 5%, you know, th- three to 5% is a problem too. But anything really below 5% is considered full employment. And then when you, when you get to like a 10% unemployment rate, it's a problem, but like a lot of the people who are unemployed are like barely competent or maybe they have some problems, whether it's mental illness or crime history or uh, substance abuse or w- whatever, or the, it's not the cream of the crop. So, so average Americans are like, all right, you know, it's too bad that unemployment's there, but you know, I, I think I'm going to be okay. But when you have unemployment in the realm of, you know, 30 to 33%, that means that there are guys like you and me that are waking up every morning at the crack of dawn, going out looking for work, like even knocking on doors, coming home at night having found none for years, right? And when you have enough normal people that are like, what the fuck? I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't have a drinking problem. I don't have any mental illness. I actually have XYZ skills and I have no opportunities then you have a radical response. And usually that response is pointing the finger at, at a, the wrong problem, it's but true. there will be a change. There will be a yeah. change. So, so ultimately there's not going to be change in this country until there's, um, there, until there's too much pain that is justified. You know, like mm-hmm. we should be making these changes now before things get really bad. But I think that we're going to have to just fucking, there ha- there's going to have to be some sort of major, major problem before we see the change. No, I, that.
0: I agree with you, man. And I'm scared. And that's why I'm actually, pushing so (laughs) that's why I'm pushing so incessantly for decentralization because
1: Mm.
0: I don't see us descending into civil war I see us getting some despot (laughs) you know who's just gonna capture the imagination of a bunch of the country who feels disaffected and I don't think that's Trump or DeSantis or anyone like I Mm -hmm. those guys are nothing compared you know like I, I think it could get really really scary because that's just a lesson from history that's kind of what happens when people finally have enough they embrace they embrace tyrants because um you know Saddam Hussein sucked right but like after Iraq was plunged into a civil war and turned upside down then you had al-Qaeda ISIS like all these other chaotic elements
1: same that- with Gaddafi Gaddafi sucked but he did a lot of good for that country and we totally fucked up Libya
0: exactly so people will people would rather have a tyrant who keeps things in order then you know chaos all the time and i feel like that is what we're marching toward eventually unless we can somehow like get states to push back and you know create more autonomy and basically just reduce the federal government from its power it has now because i feel like that would defuse the problem but i don't know it it is scary because i that is the part of me that is not accelerationist realizing that people aren't smart when things descend into chaos. They don't make good decisions. So you can't fully embrace accelerationism to its final point because then you're just asking for a despot. So I feel like there's a fine line you got to kind of flirt with.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. That's that's insightful. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's that I've been... I'm a student of World War II and um, at the risk of... Um, <laughs> I hate bringing up Hitler and Nazis so much because people are inevitably going to think that I'm a white supremacist. I'm not. Hitler sucked. He was fucking evil. Okay. But everybody makes the mistake of reading Mein Kampf (laughs) and thinking that they understand Hitler. And if you really want to understand what happened in Germany, you have to read his speeches, which are hard to find because only a few people have the balls to translate them and and put them out. If you read his speeches from 22 to 33, then you can understand what actually happened in Germany. Now, it was absolutely racist. It was explicitly anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish. Right. Not anti-Israel. But I mean, I think Hitler would have been pro-Israel because he was like, get him the fuck out of here. He was. Right. right? So look up the
0: Havara agreement. uh, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So he was. So it's not an Israel thing. But that was the problem with Hitler was his racism. Right. But there was more going on than just a hatred for Jews in Germany. And if you read the speeches, you can see how he came to power. And the anti-Semitism was definitely pervasive and, and, and throughout Hitler's political career. However, it was, especially in the beginning, in the, in the rising up, it was like 10% of his platform. The yeah. vast majority of it was other shit. Yeah. And you have to look at that. And if you look at that, you can see that the speeches aren't you know something that we can learn about the past, but something we can learn about the future because he is responding to a climate that leads to a Hitler in leadership, right? Okay. The speeches are what got him elected, got him in, in, in empowered. Um, despite some other, corru- you know, including some other corruption. So we we can't allow ourselves to get to that point where our people are so desperate that they empower a, a Hitler-esque figure. You know, Hitler's problem, of course, was his racism and his audacity and willing willingness to massacre people and do all these wars and shit for the sake of for the sake of it. But when you put people in that sort of a position. That they've, there's, there's clearly been an injustice done to them to such an extent that they have suffered for years. If you look at the suicide rates in Germany in the 20s, especially after the Great Depression hit the world in 29, 30, 31, 32, they're mm-hmm. astoundingly high women killing their children. I mean, these people were fucking struggling and we cannot allow our people to get to that point. Because if we allow our people to get that point, they will allow a person like that to come to power and that person will solve their problems, but at great moral injustice to the world. And so (laughs) it's just such a dangerous situation. Like it is so irresponsible to just like allow us to get to this economic position because fucking printing money from the federal reserve seems to be lucrative at the time like don't yeah. fucking please don't do this like just take the hit man <laughs> like don't, you know just because you can fucking make so much money off of funding metabiota in ukraine doesn't mean it's the right thing to do <laughs> Like, come on
0: yeah i i'm always amazed by people who are just trying to shame people uh out of being nazis or whatever like they're just like oh you're you're, you're starting to act like a nazi or you're uh you know, like we have a huge Nazi problem in America or whatever they're saying. And it's like, hold on. You have no idea what a Nazi is because you've met, you've never actually met one. I've actually met one before and, you know, come across them online and, you know, like they're not, they're not shy about it. They're very yeah. uh, outspoken about it, but Nazis don't just pop up out of nowhere. To your point, like they are cultivated over a long period of time of suffering and uh is true of, of all radicalism yeah. yeah yeah i mean people don't it's terrorism same way like you don't isis didn't just spring up out of nowhere or al-qaeda like these are groups that formed because there were um invading forces in their homeland that you know bombs were dropped on their houses that killed their their mothers and their wives and their kids and their cousins or whatever and that radicalizes them into being willing to fly a plane into a building or whatever like that that's why that happens it doesn't just right right and and even
1: if the u.s government was behind 9-11 someone still was willing to fly a plane in that building so the radicalism was real even if it was exploited and manipulated and used so you can't just write it off and say oh you know this shit doesn't exist like oh somebody flew a plane into a building like
0: yeah (laughs) you know take some
1: the special kind of person willing to do that yeah
0: so, I mean, we're, we're at a, an interesting crossroads. We, I, I, I think I agree with you that we do need, like, we, it's hard. We need to somehow weaponize uh, a, a political messiah figure into getting people to care about their communities. It, it, we got to, like, somehow do both at the same time. Like, be, because you're right, the, the presidential race and everything, that's where everything is sexy, where everyone's paying attention. We somehow need to get someone in there that inspires people to better themselves and their own communities and not not like wait around for the system to get better and help them out like ron paul was kind of that way he really gave people this message of you know you can make your own life better it's up to you uh at the end of the day regardless of what the government does where like bernie sanders wasn't really that message it was more like you are only screwed because these people Screwed you over and let me tell you the, what democratic Socialism is yeah exactly so like We need some sort of
1: <laughs> I like how everybody message. said it Was a dove remember that dove that you know, flew From his podium everyone <laughs> yeah. said it was a dove Is a fucking pigeon it's so bernie sanders like, <laughs> I didn't even know that but it I'm totally pretty sure it was out. I'm pretty sure it was a pigeon I could be wrong about that This is the fucking cheapest fucking bird ever Like <laughs> Just shits in a garage.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> just like you will get the fucking pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is my son with whom I am not pleased. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this, man. Uh, sure. uh, and I don't want to take too much of your time. I, I mean, I'm just hanging out, so I, I'm cool with everybody. But, but like, I hear a lot of rhetoric from the libertarian side. There's like, you know, I, I love Michael Malice and I love Clint. Yeah. And these fucking guys are so bright and what they say is so true. But like this whole anarchy is the solution thing, man. It it really doesn't sit with me because mm-hmm. it seems that if we are in a situation where there's no some sort of centralized organization or like law enforcement or protection of rights that what in, what inevitably ends up happening is it creates like a vacuum of power and it's just a matter of time before. You know, through private deals and shit, enough power is amassed by one party to exact its will among the rest of the people. Like, Mm -hmm. my problem with anarchy is that it seems like, in order to maintain a system of anarchy, you have to have a centralized authority that maintains that system of anarchy. And then, you know, it's not anarchy anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, what's the deal within the Libertarian Party and within like the NCAP movement? Like, what's the am I misunderstanding, like the philosophy or the solution? Because these people I know are bright and they are so on point about what these fucking problems are and the moral injustice and, you know, the lack of principle and why it's wrong for private property rights and individual sovereignty to be infringed. Like, I am totally on board with all this shit. But like, I just can't land on therefore no government. Like, no, 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 that your rights are going to be fucked if there's no government by by somebody, you know, whether it's a gang or a party or, or whatever. It's like, how is no government the solution? Or am I like just misunderstanding?
0: Well, I could go at that from a bunch of different angles. So this Mm -hmm. is this is the one I'll go from. So the free state. Oh, looking the wrong way. There's my flag. The free state project in New Hampshire is successful because of the culture of New Hampshire. New Hampshire Mm -hmm. already has a high trust society. There's an honor system that lots of people honor. Like I mean, I don't know if it's like this where you live, but there's all sorts of farm stands where people just put their food out for sale. You just go drop money in a box, take it with you. Sure. Um, People don't lock their doors in lots of places. Everybody owns guns. Uh, No one's worried about mass shootings happening. Like, I mean, it's just like a, it's kind of culturally set up for not needing a heavily centralized political system.
1: Okay. Um, So it's like America in like 1960 everywhere else.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of anarchists and libertarians, because you know, sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. Some libertarians do believe in like a, a, a night watchman government. So like border security, uh police, military, and you know, like Justice Department or something like that. Um, but I think a lot of anarchists are short-sighted when they think that if you just get rid of the government, your problems go away because the government has replaced community over time. Right. So there used to be community forces that took care of people within their own like the KKK. Yeah, (laughs) that's one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the, uh, you know, the once the government takes that system away, if you're going to get rid of the government, you need to replace it with something again, almost to your point. And you need the community to take over. You need the people to be willing to take care of themselves, take care of each other. So, if you live in a society like Portland, Oregon, where people just don't give a shit about each other, where they're shitting Mm. on the streets, living in tents, you know, all over the place and stuff, like they just legalized all drugs there and they still have all these drug related problems, you know. I don't think that just getting rid of the government immediately alleviates all the problems. I would argue adding more government doesn't fix the problems either. They tend to just make it worse. But yeah, it just needs think, to change form. I think it's a cultural, societal, and mm. political problem. So I think in New Hampshire, we're, uh, we're doing it right. So that, that's my best answer I can give to you. We, we should do another. If you want to have me on your uh, yeah, channel, I'd love to, yeah, and I'd, I'd love to like, do a deep dive episode on all that with you.
1: So. Okay, great. That sounds awesome. I'll definitely have you on. You're, you're always welcome on the show, Reed. If you need help or want to come on the show, we can definitely do that anytime. Yeah, thanks, man. Absolutely.
0: So, uh, yeah, man, why don't you just give us any final thoughts you got and then uh, we'll close out, I guess.
1: Okay. Final thoughts are vote Liz Cheney 2024. <laughs> there we go. You can check me out on Twitter at Real Chase or uh, one American Make sure you put an N on the end of American um, or get her at Real Chase Geyser, basically any social media platform at One American Podcast or at Real Chase Geyser. And uh, check me out. I'd love for you guys to follow me everywhere you can. I'm having a lot of fun and growing as fast as I can. Thanks so much for having me read. Um, it's an honor and pleasure to have you, dude. I've, I've been a fan of yours since I started this journey and um, I, you keep doing what you're doing. Don't give up in light of the censorship shit. Like there, there's always a way, man, you just have to grind. And uh, yeah. if there's ever anything I can do to help you, let me know. Uh, and I, w- I will do it. But just because you've been banned on Twitter, man, doesn't mean it's over. You can still grow on YouTube. There's always, always ways to grow. If you just hustle and learn and put, put in the hours.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. You have been very supportive of me, especially when I've gotten banned on multiple occasions. <clears throat> and I appreciate all the help. And I really have enjoyed watching you kind of explode out of nowhere. Like you said, thanks, we man. started around the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing each other's podcasts a year ago when barely anyone knew who we were. And here we are. So it's cool. Um, everyone, I've got links into the description to uh, Chase's stuff. So his getter is YouTube. I think his um, Twitter and then his Linktree where you can follow literally everything. And then the same for me, like I said earlier, please follow my Substack and my telegram specifically and Instagram, but I've also got my link tree link down there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you can uh, follow me on all those programs, uh, all those uh, platforms. Um, like I said, I won't be live streaming next week until Friday, but I got an episode premiering. It's my speech. I did at pork fest. So check that out. Chase. Thanks for coming on, man. We'll do it again. Thank you.